and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. Speaking of growth, join us at patreon.com slash human machine to help us continue to grow the podcast, label, and all the other things we get up to. The support means a lot. Anyway, I'm your host, Edie Quinn, and I'm really glad you're joining me today as I chat with my old friend, Justin Wexler, who I met over 20 years ago when Stillwell played the basement of my old house. I come across the little pamphlet flyer that I made and still have, and it really makes me cherish those times even more. This wasn't all just a trip down memory lane, though, because at the end of the conversation, we go over some very valuable information about how this year's tax changes are going to affect a lot of bands and independent artists. Stay tuned for that. And now, let me play something for you. You're hearing What's Going On With The Word Fuck by Stillwell, featuring my pal Justin Wexler on bass. The song comes off the 20th anniversary re-release of their album, Don't Face A Problem, Burn It, which you can find on the Forge Again Records band. I think when I was a little older, I definitely wanted to do music in some form, um, not necessarily being in a famous band or whatever, but um, being somehow involved. And I think I've, I've managed to do that <laughs> at some at some level. Yeah. And you by older, do you mean like preteen teen? Yeah, it's a preteen teen. Yeah. yeah, I think when I was probably, you know, when I was 10 years old, I probably wanted to be a basketball player or something completely unrealistic um but as i got a little older obviously um became more into music and definitely um you know in my early teens very very much so whether it was going to be as an audio engineer or a uh, I, I honestly don't know i don't know how i ended up doing what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> now you said like before you thought you maybe had some you know, you thought you were going to be involved in sports or something. Was that something that was a bigger part of your life before your like teenage years or whatever? Uh, no, I was pretty terrible at, okay. uh, at sports. That's, you know, just one of those things that, you know, you're a little kid, you're, what are you into? You're into cartoons and then you're into, you know, sports or whatever else. And <laughs> you yeah. sort of, you sort of work your way out of that. Um, no, I, I played little league and stuff and not, I, you know, as soon as I started getting okay, that's when I decided to quit. So, um, <laughs> yeah. never never really big into it and I, you know I, and then later as an adult I started playing uh playing sports again playing baseball and uh started playing hockey but that was in my adult years uh missing out on all that as a child <laughs> yeah it's funny because like you know <clears throat> it never occurred to me to, to sort of dig back into the the possibility of sports being a bigger part of somebody's uh youth from like where it stands as far as um like <clears throat> i'm really 
butchering this line of thought, but like there's so many like Midwest emo album covers that are like somebody hitting a ball or like some sports related activity. And then, you know, obviously the horrible cliche, like fourth wave emo band names, you know, that were all sports related, but like, it's never, it's never like, you know, come up that somebody was like, oh yeah, I really like wanted to be a baseball player or whatever. Uh, you know, but um, I think that was probably the one of my a- actual like earliest like dreams or whatever. Cause um, my, uh, an uncle that I was like really fond of and my cousins and stuff were huge, like Cincinnati Reds fans. <clears throat> and so we all idolized like Johnny Bench and, you know, like whatever. And, th- you know, this is maybe, this is pre- you know, pre us discovering about the betting and stuff, which is, you know, um, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. There's, there's, maybe that's just like a more, a Midwest thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, you said you got into sports, like as an adult, um, and especially I, hockey, how is hockey a thing that you decide you want to start doing as an adult? Uh, well, I, I feel like it was one of those things that I missed out on as a kid. Um, uh-huh. Hockey is one of those things that I think you don't play unless you live in a very specific part of the country or you have you know, parents who played or um, you're very rich. That also helps. But, um, yeah, I feel like as a kid I always wanted to, but I never really had the person to like help me push it over the line. Um, my, my father was big into playing baseball. So little league is very cheap and very easy for, for your kids. Um, hockey is very expensive and very difficult and you know, they, they didn't want to sign up for that. And I, I can't blame them. Um, but as I got a little older, um, I decided, you know, I'm, I missed out on it and I found a cool beginner program and now I've been playing for what, like 13 years almost. Um, but starting, starting at age 30 is, uh, you know, a challenge to say the least. Yeah. I was going to say like, is, it, I mean, does it, it – are there um, – is everyone sort of like – are there unwritten rules like, look, like we're, we, we're going to take this seriously like we are competing or whatever, but like this isn't – like let's not get too heated or do things get really heated still? Yeah, they can. Uh, it's, a, it's a good mix. Um, you know, I personally, you know, recognize the fact that I am – not a professional athlete and I'm going to have to go to work the next day. And I have other things that I care about considerably more than, um, murdering somebody on the ice right? right. Uh, <laughs> and, and vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, I generally play very clean, but, um, you know, you still try hard and still battle on stuff and stuff happens, but yeah, there's, there's going to be like in anything you do, right? Like in music, like in, um, you know, probably in any world of entertainment, uh, there are people who are just assholes, uh, and they are going to act like assholes, uh, no matter what you do. So you're going to have those people in sports, obviously, uh, I think definitely draws that crowd. <laughs> um, as much as, you know, you can get some, some people who are not cool in the music business. Uh, you get a lot of those people who are into sports. It's like the most basic American thing, or I guess probably worldwide. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very accessible thing. And so a lot of people like it, including some of the dumbest people on the planet and, <laughs> and they act accordingly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, you know, I've, I've never suffered so far, at least yeah. any major injuries, just bumps and bruises and 
uh, minor stuff, but you know, I've seen people break their ankles and, um, I've seen people play like lunatics, uh, and just try to hurt people. And it's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's, that's what I was like, you know, the first thing you said is like, you, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, like here I am, like, you know, this like mid to late thirties, like, yeah, that's a great time to like decide to go out and start possibly getting my ass beat on the ice all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> um, when you're a kid, obviously this, like your body is just rubber, you know, and, and unfortunately kids still do get injured, of course, but like, you know, there's this like their susceptibility to long-term injuries isn't what ours is at, at a later age, you know? Um, yeah. They, they can get good at it too. Very fast where, um, you know, when you play as a kid, you retain that muscle memory and your ability. So, you know, we get a good mix of people who started as adults and people who played as a kid and then came back to it and you'll get guys who are way too good to be playing against the people they are. But for the most part, everyone's, you know, intermediate level. There's not guys who played professionally or anything coming up and trying to kill you but you know you got to find a league that will uh cater to your your skill level i'd say it was probably the best way to put it yeah and then i was just like um it just my brain was invaded with the idea of like hockey sharks like someone who was like semi-pro or pro getting into one of these like am leagues to like run a grift or something I don't know. <laughs> yeah there's there's no money in it but you know <laughs> i think they get their personal glory yeah uh, you know guys who played college hockey or something yeah getting uh lighting up the lamp uh and just destroying a team full of people who've been playing for only a few years there's yeah. there's some of that most yeah. of the you know I, I think it's a good mix of people but every once in a while you'll run to a team where one guy is incredibly good and the rest of the team is not uh and you know they basically watch this guy play and that's not fun for anybody yeah yeah it's it's you know, a lot of that is just like um, my brain like is really wired to tell stories at at all times anymore. You know, so it's like these, it's just like, oh, what would happen if you know? Um, but yeah, we uh, we sort of started at the beginning and then ended up there. But um, obviously, we were talking about when you were like a preteen, a teen, um, just getting like really absorbed with music. Um, what were some of the first bands and how were you introduced to them that like really uh, turned music from a passive thing that was just happening? Oh, that's my symbol. A passive thing that was just happening while you were around to something that you were invested in. Uh, yeah. So when I was a kid, you know, I listened to whatever mainstream stuff was on when I was really young and I was, interested in Bon Jovi or Guns N' Roses or whatever. Sure. Uh, but the one that really did it for me was Nirvana. Um, you know, from 1991, I would have been in like third grade. So when they, when they broke, uh, that was like the, the turning point for me, I think. And I, I always wanted to play guitar or something like that. But again, as a kid, they don't really cater to you in school to play guitar or instruments like that. It's like, Hey, do you want to play the oboe? And no, I never had any interest in being, a violinist or an oboe player. Uh, I wanted to play guitar and that was one of those things where you just had to sort of do it on your own or go take lessons privately. And luckily my parents were supportive of that at least. But yeah, I mean, I, I think just hearing Nirvana just opened up a whole new world of different music for me. Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, 
I definitely get that a lot, especially with, you know, people around our, our age group. Um, and yeah, that definitely was the time for that. Um, do you think like thinking back to it now, do you think that there was something about their music that specifically like gave you the, um, permission to, to, to pursue music on your own? Like, that did you feel like it was just accessible on a level that you know you didn't understand at the time but makes more sense now or yeah i mean i think you know obviously they're very difficult people uh you know 30 something years later but at the mm-hmm. time they look like normal dudes um they they don't seem to be ego rock star guys you know they look like guys off the street and i'm sure you know there's the same thing seeing punk bands in the 70s and 80s I wasn't exposed to a ton of that. Um, my dad really liked Alice Cooper, but <laughs> that's definitely more of a, a production uh, where Nirvana was really bare bones. And, um, you know, they obviously got very famous and up up the ante a bit. But, you know, early on, it was just some dudes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of became this giant thing that sort of changed the, the landscape of music. Um both for the better and worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're probably right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's, I mean, they, I think without Nirvana, like the big, I sort of, I guess the pop punk breakthrough of the early nineties doesn't happen. Um, you know, you get bands like Sonic Youth that are getting attention and then all the, the major label signings of the nineties, right? Like that whole thing doesn't happen without Nirvana. Yeah. What do you think's the, what do you think's the worst, like, um, band you can think of that benefited heavily from that Ooh, uh that's <laughs> tough i <laughs> i know it's all I mean, subjective think, but if there was just one you you would point out yeah i mean i think so the the whole grunge thing i think there were really two different camps right there's the nirvana camp which is like the punk side of grunge and then there was the i hate to say pearl jam camp um i sure. have nothing personal against them it's just <clears throat> it was a very different you know like Nirvana didn't lead to Nickelback, but Pearl Jam did. When you when you think about it, yeah, I, I think um, that tracks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Nirvana led to a lot of like the alt rock stuff from the '90s, but I think it was the more Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and that you know the grungy sound that sort of led to that genre and you know new metal and <laughs> yeah, all that stuff sort of building up over time. Just the kind of. I don't know. It's not. It's not hair metal, obviously, right? Because before Nirvana, that was like the mainstream rock was either ACDC and Aerosmith or like Poison and Whitesnake. You know, it wasn't. There wasn't like a in between. Um, you'd had like underground stuff, but for the most part, that was kind of all there was at that point. Um, and I think things definitely changed. I mean, you get a, a massive variety of different kinds of of rock that sort of uh, ends up being what they call alternative, which even if you look at what alternative was 25 years ago and look what it is now, I mean, it's just so crazy different. Now it's basically like pop music. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's been a long time since I just had like the local radio on. Um, but, um, this, some of the stuff that they would play and on this like alternative station and it's like, yeah, you can see, you can see where it's trying to come from, but it feels like 
butt rock stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like stuff from uh, the, the 80s or whatever, like Cinderella or Rat. Like, it, it feels like sure. that yeah. without the, like, dangerous rock part to it, you know? I don't... I don't know. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it's also gotten the, the music itself has gotten very mellow. Yeah. I, uh, there's something about like, um, there's something about the way that a lot of um, music is produced, I think, now where it's like, I realize that this guitar is like super fucking loud, but it just does not sound loud anymore. Or do you know, like, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all, there's a lot of backing tracks and stuff, which, you know, it's fine. There's cool bands that do that. But um, I definitely feel like it's more more vibes than energy anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a weird, like, when I, when I think of, like, what college rock is, I think of, you know, your your indie alt bands from, like, the, the mid-90s, early 90s. Um, you know, I, Nowadays, I think it's <laughs> college rock is probably uh, whatever is just sort of the mainstream. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. You know, Imagine Dragons is that is that uh, <clears throat> those bands all sound kind of like that? Yeah, I don't. At this point, I don't. I mean, like when I think of like, I don't know. I don't know what college rock is. You know, when I'm thinking about like what people would say is like, like grunge or or I don't even think people use that term anymore. But you know, like hard rock alternative rock or whatever like i'm thinking like you know five finger death punch or something which like i can't even like call to mind what that band sounds like but i think there's like 10 bands that sound like that that are all jumbled up in my head you know yeah that's fair um and uh yeah i don't know it's <laughs> it's wild like i i'll do deli- like i'll deliver food and um like i'll be picking up food from someplace and um there's this one older guy that also delivers food, but he delivers food in like, it's like, I don't, this just makes no sense to me, but it's like a freaking like brand new looking like charger, you know? And um, he's just, a li- he's like doing DoorDash. And every time you see this dude, it, and and his door pops open. It's like you know, you know, it's that stuff. And and uh, and I'm just like, yeah, that's that's what's in my mind. You know, that like, yeah, I don't know if that's uh, mainstream anymore. I don't I don't think heavy music is really. I mean, there, of course, there's going to be exceptions, right? There's going to be bands that are coming up and breaking through, but I think the the majority of it's pretty safe at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty accessible. Whereas, you know, the stuff you would listen to, the stuff they would play on commercial alternative radio in like the mid nineties would make your parents upset. Whereas now they might like it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's a way to put it. That's the other thing with like radio stations that like, um, play like, like, uh, that will play from like more than one decade or whatever. Right. Because, because, the, because then, like you you hear something from 10 years ago and they're calling it classic rock and that's in your brain that's not classic rock and so i don't know there's this weird like an amalgam in my brain of like stuff that from anywhere from like you know uh 
2008 or something to the last time when I really like was hearing stuff like that on the radio. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I only know the bands that come, that go on social media and, and say ridiculous shit. And then people just troll (laughs) on them like, like trapped or whatever. Is that the one that like, yeah, everybody was like, um, posting pictures from their shows where there was like seven people there because they said a bunch of really ignorant shit. Um, yeah, I think that's how those bands are getting attention these days because, I, I mean, they're not mainstream bands. I mean, they're playing small clubs and stuff at this point in their careers. Right. Um, you know, maybe slightly bigger small clubs, but the nobody cares about these bands, really. They have maybe some loyal followers or whatever, but like it's not a, a genre that <laughs> is is hot right now yeah. uh, or experiencing any real success. So. You only know, they, on 93.5 KHY. That's <laughs> only on your local rock station. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're just lucky if they're still in the rotation and getting those royalties or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, I don't know. That's 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 a whole other like. I I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Like, what must that be like from, um, you know, pre Spotify to to now you know where like artists were relying on a certain x amount from like radio station or you know however that works and and now it's just like eh. but um yeah you know never mind all that uh <laughs> we're getting to the part where you were just starting to play guitar um like and look you know looking through your discography you've played uh many instruments and many different projects but um is guitar like your main thing uh it was um you know i I, as a kid you know like starting my high school or junior high high school pop punk bands or whatever um i always played guitar and then i think sort of got uh uh, tricked into playing bass uh, in a band i was a i was a tour fill-in and then i ended up in the band and you know did that for a long time so i kind of got stuck on that um you know, all the while still playing guitar or whatever, but I think probably it's, it's about split at this point in my life. Yeah. I've done, I've done one or the other in most bands played drums a couple times, but, uh, for the most part, yeah, probably, probably still say guitar, but I feel like I definitely missed out on a lot of my, my would have been formative guitar years, uh, as I was playing bass. Not that that's bad. Um, which is definitely a different, a different feel. Are you talking about Stillwell specifically? Yeah, yep. uh, I, I was, you know, I went to high school with uh, a couple of the guys from the band. Well, at the time, I guess it was all of them. Um, they were a couple years older, uh, and they needed someone to fill in on a tour. It would have been like 1998. Um, I was 17. Um, they were all, I guess, 18 or 19. And uh, I, you know, I was like, oh, I, you know, I'll do it. You know, we were friends. I'd actually recorded the, a demo for them uh, in my basement on a four track. Um, that was the other thing I got really into, like as a as a preteen, you know, uh, making crappy demos or whatever on a four track. Um, was it again, the X fifty five? No, I had a Tascam. Um, it was ah. a I think it was called a Portis Studio. It was like oh, okay. A, uh, it was a. I don't, it's not like a super common one. Um, yeah, eventually it just crapped out. The power supply stopped working or something, and. I just tossed it, but, uh, yeah, I had, a, it was like a, it was a decent one. It wasn't like a, you know, top of the line, 
you know, uh, was it the 424 or something? But, but yeah, so I, I, you know, would record my own bands and I got pretty decent at it. I had like a nice mixer so I could, you know, pre-mix drums and uh-huh. really utilize those four tracks. And, um, you know, I would help other bands do it occasionally. And so Stowell had asked me to do that at some point. Uh, and so the very first demo was recorded in my basement. And you were 17 when that happened? Uh, I think I was 16 or 17. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it's not a great sounding demo. It's a, um, a basement four track recording, but right. it well, sounds good, you know, compared to, I mean, I've heard <clears throat> demos made now that are worse. So <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is like, you know, it's just, I, I think that the, that like giving yourself that agency or whatever, you know, that permission to be like, yeah, I'll record your band. Like, but I mean, part of that is just like when you're 16 and you just have that kind of bravado, right? Like when you're younger, you just don't, you're just like, yes, of course I could do this. Like it's a thing. I can plug in the thing and I can plug in the mics and I can do this. But like, you know, later on in life, sometimes people are like, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't turn out that good. I don't, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Really? I mean, I, I, I feel that way about recording now. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have a... Uh, digital interface and I could do it, but I don't know how the hell to use Pro Tools or Logic or whatever. Like it's just the learning curve is different, right? Mm-hmm. Like my my knowledge is all very analog in that that department. So <laughs> yeah, you know I can I could probably figure something out, but I know that I'm better off just paying somebody who knows what they're doing at this point. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you joined as a as a fill-in bass player, and so did you go on like a tour when you were seventeen? Yeah, it was it was a pretty bad tour. Uh, only played a couple shows. Uh, you know, stuff was canceled, whatever. Um, but then I guess I was sort of in the band. Uh, I don't remember exactly how that happened, but um, I ended up permanently in the band after that. And so then you know we toured the next few years. Also, I think the next year we played at your house. I was going to say it had to be around there because, um, yeah, yeah, that was like the, you know, the, 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 the sweet spot for shows at my house was like just right before 2000. And, uh, yeah, it would have been probably summer 99. Yeah, I think, uh, there were so many. Yeah, we, we did a tour with a band called The Way Outs. Um, and then, oh, yeah, Scott's band. Yeah, yeah, Scott was in that band. Uh, I believe, um, Pinhead Circus played too. At my house? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think it was that yeah. show. And I don't know. We had, we had played the year before somewhere else in Lafayette, but I don't know. It was a uh, I think Door Three or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Door. Um. So there was like I think there was door number three and door number four. Oh yeah, never so made it. it like, never made it to four. Yeah, it was this weird thing i'm I'm actually writing a story about it now um uh it was this it was this weird like situation where i mean they had really cool shows at these warehouses on this on the um it was on the bank of like one of the most polluted rivers in all of indiana and uh (laughs) and um they did shows there for years. It was really cool. Um, I got to play there a couple times in different things. Um, once when I didn't live here and then once when I did. But um, then um, this company bought the place that um, they rent porta potties to 
uh, you know, construction or whatever, you know, whoever needs porta potties and, and, um, they, uh, they, they like bought the place and kicked everyone out. And, um, so like this place that was like a place where, you know, a lot of younger people went and, you know, sometimes they had really big shows there and a lot of people would go down there and, for years, it was like one of those like DIY like cultural touchstones in Lafayette or whatever, and then it's just like a place where there's porta potties lined up. You know, it's, it's kind of sad. yeah. No, that happens to most places, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. just like some random bit of commerce that overtakes you know uh, stuff. But um, <clears throat> yeah. Like you said that um, the first tour was bad, but Stillwell went on like um, plenty of tours. I, I'm I'm assuming y'all y'all were a band for um, a few years and and seemed really active. Um, what are some of the like highlights from that era as far as touring goes? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to pick individual things and it's always funny to see, you know, especially these days you'll, you'll see stuff pop up on Instagram. There'll be a flyer from a show you played or someone who, you know, that booked a show for you 20 years ago, you just happen to run into somehow. Um, and, and you see these old things and like half the time, I don't remember it at all. And half the time I have a very vivid memory of something that happened. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that first of all, that we're getting old and hard to remember all that stuff. It all sort of blurs together, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a different time because everything wasn't documented, uh, in photographs and you had to have like a real camera and nobody had cell phones and mm-hmm. it was just, uh, way more, I guess, uh, spread out, right? Like the, we'll have a bunch of stuff. We had, somehow we recorded a bunch of our shows. Like we had a bunch of, I had a video camera and we had a bunch of sets recorded from back then. So it's, it's kind of cool to be able to go back and watch some of that stuff and throw it on YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean <laughs> the, the grind of the road, right. We never played like an awesome tour. We always had a you know, good time and it was always, we have a couple cool shows and a couple very bad shows and a couple in between. And um, you know, if you come back and you aren't completely broke, like you, you started with $500 and you come back and you still have more than zero. Um, <laughs> it, it's a success. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just a different world back then. Um, you know, gas was under a dollar, so <laughs> you could do it pretty cheap and you know, it, finding people was hard though, uh, back then, right. You, the early days of the internet, um, it was sort of random. You'd show up to a show and they there wasn't actually a show. Um, you, you had no way to know that though, until you got there Yeah, because the person just flaked and like, they didn't tell the venue and you weren't seeing posts online about it. Like nowadays, I don't know how that could even possibly happen. It just seems insane to me that, you know, I, I assume most advertising for shows is online these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's happened. That's, that's definitely happened to me. Like, way more recently than I would have expected it to happen. Like, you know, where it's like you drive three hours and you show up and the venue is like locked and it's like, oh, the owner went to jail, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, I don't, I don't remember, you know, specifically if, if at that time I, I, you know, 
personally had a cell phone, but certainly someone in the band did. And, you know, no one was ever contacted. It was just show up and find out there's no show. Um, yeah, I mean, there's only one There's only one phone call, right, when you get arrested. So you can only call the, the headline band and hope they call everyone else. Yeah, or, you know, to be fair to the person that was arrested, possibly someone that could actually help you instead yeah, of... Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, I... No offense to the band, but I don't care about that right now. I don't want to be in jail, you know, and they're not going to come bail me out. <laughs> um, sure, probably not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, um, a couple of, a couple of wild, wild ones certainly happened to me like that. But, um, yeah, it was also, I mean, looking back at some of those videos of us goofing around and stuff, it's just funny to see that we were young and stupid and, not always the the nicest to other bands or not we weren't like total assholes but like when when we decided the show was stupid or a band was lame or whatever not just because of their music just because the people or whatever we would not always be super cool um and i can see why a lot of people didn't like us back then <laughs> yeah like it's just, it's just funny revisiting that like man those those bands are, weren't really nice to us and like oh i guess because we were being goofy when they played or you know i don't know uh, you, you play all those shows back then you'd play shows that you just didn't fit on. And I feel like that was kind of a problem we always had. Um, I feel like the, the crowd that would have been better for us or the bands that we would have played with and done better with would have been older. Um, you know, if, if even like five years. And so we just didn't really overlap with a, a lot of that. Yeah. So, you know, occasionally you play with some cool bands and for the most part you'd be playing with hardcore bands. Uh, and the people who were there to see hardcore bands tended to not like us. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know that like I can recall a specific instance of something like that, but I know the, the general vibe for sure. Like where, uh, you would go to play and if people were being kind, right. And I use the word kind, if they were being kind and then they were just standing in front of you, looking at you like they were angry. And like that was kind because they were actually still standing there <laughs> and not yeah, just no, like that's... outside or whatever, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely, you know, it's, yeah, it's so, it's so weird. Like, because that, th at that time, you know, there definitely were like, there were plenty of bands that weren't, um, just like full bore and machismo and et cetera, et cetera. But when you wound up playing a show where you're the only band that didn't bring that out of people, it, you knew it right away. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, like, um, I don't know if this is just like, I just missed a bunch of stuff, but, uh, <clears throat> it seems like, you know, between, Stillwell and like your next project, which I'm assuming the next project was Pink Eyes. Uh, Pink Eyes is a bit later, so oh, okay. I did. I was I did play in a couple of things between. Uh, never really had any releases. Okay, that's. Uh, I played I drums for a project called The Winter Me, and I played bass for a project called Three Cheers for One Dead Man. Um, never really put anything out though, so mm -hmm. the the Discogs listing is not very strong right. on those, but. Yeah, I mean, around so Stillwell broke up in 2003. I had another project called Grayson, uh, where I played guitar and sang, which I absolutely hated. Um, never, never loved singing in a band, but 
got stuck doing it a lot, I feel, early on, just because nobody else wanted to either. Um, so I did that for a few years, and we're trying to keep that going, and then obviously that fizzled out. And then I went to law school in 2005, and so I was definitely not as active for a little bit there. Yeah, that'll do it, I think. Yeah. Um, but then, like, you know, uh, I didn't write the dates down, but so one thing that I thought was really cool and that I noticed was when y'all were doing Pink Eyes, you, you spawned a side project called Pink Guys. <laughs> and when I was looking on the band camp and I was seeing, I was like, what the fuck is this like? Because, you know, you don't have if you don't have that information already that this is like a side project and this is the same people with the exception of one person or whatever, um, it just looks like that either, you know, these two very random bands with the name Pink in the beginning ended up on the same label or that there was some kind of mistake or there was like a goof going on. Um, But Pink Eyes was... Like I said, it was it was y'all's like main band, but then Pink Guys was when one of your members was like out of town doing like archaeological studies. Yeah, yeah. Our, our guitar player Dave was okay. um, in Peru, I believe. Okay. He he would be gone for like a month. Uh, he was getting his PhD, and like he would be gone for long stretches, and we wanted just to to jam anyway. Um, but it was sort of silly to get together and play the same stuff without one of the guitars. So we decided like, well, let's all switch instruments um, and just do something totally different and write songs just on the spot, basically. Um, so we would, we would just write a couple songs, record them. And that was it. Like we didn't, we didn't plan it out very far in advance. We would just crank them out. So, so that was a fun little side, a side thing we did for a bit and we were still doing it sort of, um, you know, we did, we did two full lengths if you want to call them that. And we have a third one that we recorded a few years ago that never got vocals. Uh, Pink Eyes actually has a full length that we recorded. Uh, Mike Lust recorded that we went to like a real studio and we just never did vocals because every time we tried to do it, we hated it. Uh, <laughs> so it's just one of those things. It's like they're just sitting there in the can waiting, waiting for vocals one day. <laughs> and every, every few years we'll be like, oh, let's let's do it. Let's get, you know, we'll, we'll get this together. We'll, we'll finally do it. And then we just it fizzles out after a month. Now, a lot of people might be listening and not understand this. Like every time you tried to do the vocals thing, we just hated it. But like, I can relate to that like v- real hard. Cause like there was something that I did in, you know, it was a really long time ago and it was like, we did a whole album and I thought the songs were really, were really strong and I did the vocals on them, and then I just was like, this is what was happening. Like, this is not good. Like, I don't know what's going on. And now I have this album, like, literally right now that I'm, like, the same way about. But I think that's a – in this newest case, it's a little different because I'm trying something that I I feel like I should be able to do, but I'm mm, – it's not – I don't know if it's like I just don't know how to mix the vocals in to the music the way because it's like I don't know like the vocals it feels like they should work but they're just not working with the music they feel uh, 
separate from the music. And, I, you know, I think it's just, I'm used to this really, like, not really putting very many effects on the vocals, you know, and just letting them be just a little louder than, you know, the music. And that's like good enough to make them sound part of the mix, you know, but this particular style is a little different and it's not, I'm just not getting it to sit right. But I don't know. It's yeah. not, it just, it might sound weird to people like when you're like, cause you're a band and like, you've done other albums. Why didn't it work this time? You know, but sometimes, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably largely mental, but you know, when you recognize that none of you are particularly strong singers, it, it gets pretty tough. Um, you know, in, in the setting of a live show, who cares? Right. Cause it's how, how much are you going to really hear? Um, but when it comes time to record, as, I remember when we recorded the first pink eyes record, we, we finished all the music and then, you know, we, someone, someone said, I can't remember who said, uh, all right, here's where we ruined the record uh. when, it, when it came time to record the vocals. <laughs> um, and I guess we just never got around to ruining the second record for that reason. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely feel like sometimes I, I'm like, there's that extra amount of pressure because you're, uh, personally, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do something that's not additive, you know? So it's like, if you're really happy with the way the instrumental sounded, then you're like, you feel like, especially like if you're, you know, um, if your guitars or whatever you've contributed, if, if you feel like you've added a whole lot to what's going on already, and then you can feel kind of spent on that. You know, and you're like, well, shit, I already had to make my guitars sound different than the other guitars. I already had to do that level of like transformation, like from hearing the thing that I was hearing to making my own thing come out of that. And then doing vocals is just doing that again, you know, unless you're doing the like, you know, the, the rock thing, like the cheesy rock thing where you just like mimic the guitar lines, you know. Sure. Yeah, mm. I, it's it's tough, man. Writing writing lyrics, uh, writing vocal parts. It's uh, it's a challenge for me personally. Yeah, it's um, it's something that once I've done, once I'm done with the the lyrics and the melodies or patterns or whatever you'd want to call them, I'm I'm like, oh hell yes, this is the greatest. Like when I'm actually just singing them and I know how I want to sing them, etc. Like, I'm like, yes, this is the greatest, but like everything up to that point is, is like, why didn't I just have someone else do this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I d detest this part. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, you gotta bring a professional. <laughs> <laughs>
The last band that I am aware of uh, that you were like really serious about doing until like your newest project was Engines. Um, and that's like you and Craig. So that's kind of like, you know, you and Craig have worked together, like played in lots of bands together at this point. Um, but then, you know, everything like with, with Engines, I'm not really sure like what uh, was the deciding factor on calling that a day or whatever. But um, like you're playing in another band with Craig now right yeah well craig and i so we were doing engines at the same time as pink eyes oh okay. uh so it was originally sort of craig's solo project it was called hot bagels um and i got sort of recruited into that after pink eyes um he was doing that with a couple other guys uh the drummer jeff is was the drummer of pink eyes's brother um and then there was a couple other people involved as well and I got recruited into that just to play second guitar. Um, actually, I think at that point I was third guitar. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, we, you know we were we were doing that for a little bit, and then again we ran into the these songs are really good. We should find someone who can actually sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then I recruited my friend Emily, who has an excellent voice, uh, and she's always been a very good singer. Um, you know, again, bring in the ringer, right? Yeah. Um, so she, she, I'd been playing with her. So I, I knew her from, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, um, sort of tangentially, but I had convinced her to going back again to what we were talking about earlier, uh, Nirvana. I'd always wanted to do a band that uh, was a Nirvana cover band, but you didn't play any songs that anybody knew. So it was a, it was a deep cuts cover band uh, called The End of Music, uh, which was the name of their publishing company. And we would play all B-sides, like, deep cuts stuff that's not on their albums. Uh, and so I, I sort of recruited Emily into that. And then I think we were out playing a show or something and I, I pitched to her to, uh, I pitched the idea of, Hey, would you want to sing for hot bagels? Uh, and she was super into it. And eventually we decided after an excruciating year or so of arguing about band names to change the name to engines. (laughs) Uh, it was it was a long grueling process um and i did i actually i remember not liking the name engines because uh obviously because of check engine who i really liked and uh engine down again another band i really liked and i think engine 88 and engine kid and like there were so many engine bands sure um so it was, it was one that was like ah, i don't really like it but i liked it better than some of the alternatives so yeah uh we yeah. we all settled on it <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean we we did engines for a while um we again were at this point, um, you know, mid thirty adults that can't tour a bunch, um, or we just didn't. Uh, you know, we'd we'd play Chicago or we'd go play somewhere relatively close. Um, did one like little mini weekend tour, and the the impetus for the breakup was actually Craig moved to Atlanta. Oh um, right, and so it wasn't really a breakup, I and mean, I don't think we've officially broken up. Um, because he moved to Atlanta and that was when we recorded our final thing, but then we didn't play shows for it until it came out the next year. Um, and then again, you know, Craig went back to Atlanta and we waited and now he's back. Um, but, uh, Emily and Jeff have two children now. So that sort of puts a, uh, <laughs> a damper on the, the momentum of the band at that point. Um, yeah. you know, when you have, uh, infants, um, or a baby, one of them was just born in October. So, yeah, you have to so wait like, for the next, like, 
you know, yeah. until the kids are like eight or something. <laughs> the next day. Yeah, you got to wait a while. Yeah, well, yeah. And Craig, I mean, Craig's got to get to. Uh, right. Nula is, I think she just turned eight. She's getting pretty old, too. Um, might be older. I might be completely wrong. And I'm totally botching this, not knowing the age of my friend's children. But uh, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, it was sort of short lived. But, you know, I think we took it pretty seriously, played some cool shows. And um, I think we put out uh, a good record and a good EP. Um, we're I, the EP, especially, I think we're, we're very proud of given how rushed it ended up being. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, we had no idea Craig was moving. He, he dropped it on us and we're, you know, halfway into writing a new record and we're like, well, maybe we should record those songs and just have them done. And so we really rushed through it. Um, the day before recording, we had a practice and I did not think it was going to go well. And then the next day it just went great. It was just a miracle, I guess, that yeah. everything went smoothly in the studio. It's usually the other way around where everything's going great at practice. And then uh, for no you reason, go to record. it's just, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've been in that, that position. And, um, you know, recording as a drummer is really hard if you're not feeling it. Um, the guitar stuff you can always punch in. But like until you nail that drum take, uh, it's just it's a struggle. But no, it, we were, it was awesome. It went better than the first time we recorded. So um we we blew through it in two days and then emily did vocals a couple weeks later and you know it was done and i think it sounds better than our first record and i think it turned out great and um we were very happy with it surprising um surprising all of us uh really when you can turn something around in like a couple weeks like that yeah for sure yeah it's it's um i mean i i don't um I don't really think I've ever like pitted the two of them against each other. Like as a, as a person who wrote the songs, you certainly would like have a, you know, a, a better, um, idea of, you know, all of that, like, and, and your own like opinions or whatever. But like, I think that y'all were really like a band that at that time, like people were, I mean, I still don't, really think that there's I, I can't think of bands that are like that now but i just think that y'all ha- came at this perfect time where bands were not trying to sound like that and and i was just like really needed a band to sound like that you know <laughs> i don't know um yeah i mean it's it was definitely it's it was a hard to describe yourself oh who do you sound like uh and i, I always struggle uh um, yeah answering that question because I think we all have very different influences, all of us. Um, and I think everything we did was, I mean, the first record had a lot of songs that had sort of originally been demoed as hot bagel songs or solo songs that Craig did. And we sort of worked them together and, you know, they, they evolved over time. But the second one was the, our first time really writing the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just kind of the sum of all our parts, all our different influences. Um, you know, obviously we all listen to different stuff and there's crossover. Um, but, you know, there's there's bands some of us love and some of us don't care about at all and vice versa. And I think it was just kind of the the amalgamation of all, all those things. Um, I think I don't, I don't know. I, I think all of our playing styles are different, too. So it was interesting to sort of see how they came together. And I think we generally sort of all wrote our own stuff and all were like, cool, that sounds great. And and that was that. So, yeah, that's awesome. The, the new project is. Uh... Is it anyone else from Engines also, or like, is it just you and Craig? Uh, yeah. So the the new thing is just me and Craig and uh, our friend Matt, 
uh, he goes by Vic. He used to be in a band called Sore History. Uh, and he was also in a band called uh, Vac. VAC. Oh, okay. Okay. And then uh, he was also in uh, Cheap Vacation. I put out a tape for them uh, at one point. Um, okay. And he, he was from Omaha and he was a little younger, but I know Towers had come through, Craig's other band had come through town and like he knew him through that and I knew him from something completely unrelated. And it's just sort of a we've always wanted to play together type of thing. Uh, and so, you know, again, we're letting Craig be the starting point, but we're really, um, it was very slow going at first because uh, Matt lives in, in Indiana, uh, Northwest Indiana. Mm-hmm. And Craig and I are obviously in Chicago on the north side of the city. So, aligning schedules as adults is very hard. And it's just so funny to think about when I was like in high school and how often my bands would practice. Mm-hmm. We'd be practicing like four days a week or whatever. Yeah. It was just like after school every day. Yeah. We're going to go practice. Like, I don't, I don't think we really accomplished much at practice, but uh, it's just funny. Cause like you can do it once a month practice for two hours now and get more out of it than you did a, a four hour practice four days a week as a, as a young person. Yeah. Well, also now you can record like every single thing that starts taking shape, you know? Um, for sure. Whereas maybe, I mean, maybe you did do that when you were in high school. Um, I, I, I certainly at that time didn't have the, the know-how or, you know, capabilities to do that, but like, no, definitely not. <laughs> but yeah. N- now definitely it was like, you know, but still like I, w- I was in a band that recorded like every single thing and we were a band for like six months and wrote like, you know, like, um, nine songs or something, you know, but I mean, granted those nine songs are like hour long or something, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess it, it still was working out. That band just felt like we were just constantly jamming just to, just to get to like the next section or something. I don't sure. know. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. But, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think we, early on when we first started practicing, we were doing it so infrequently that we couldn't get much momentum. So it took us a while to write the first like two songs. And I think now we're at a point where like each practice, like, all right, another new song. Um, so we're, we're getting there. Um, and plus you like know what you're going for and stuff now. Like, yeah, I think, I think we, I think we're all kind of on the same page now. And I think, you know, we can work together to be like, all right, this makes more sense than this. I think we're all very open-minded to others ideas at the same time. Uh, happy to give people autonomy. Like if you want to play that guitar part, or you want to play that drum part, that bass part, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, what, whatever you want to do is, is cool. And we'll all be honest with each other about what works and what doesn't. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're finally getting there. Um, I think we're about eight songs in now. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm hopeful we're playing by summer. Um, awesome. But we, we did do that. We did crank out that Ramones cover for, uh, the comp for you. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That was uh, that was it was cool because it was it was really a thing where Craig was like, "Hey, I want to do a uh, a song for this comp, and uh, w- let's do a cover." It was a cover comp, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. what what should we do? And everyone's like, "I don't know." He's like, "Let's do uh, uh, Don't Come Close" by Ramones, and I was like, "Okay, that's you know sort of a weird one. We don't really sound anything like that." But I think he he told. I think we decided on like a Sunday. I learned it on Tuesday. We recorded it on Thursday. Like that was how, how quickly it went. Yeah. It, I imagine that like the cover sounds halfway between what you all as a band sound like 
and what the song like did it meet halfway for what your band sounds like and i think it's a little more towards ramon's version okay Uh, okay it was a weird song for them uh it's not a very straightforward song yeah the one thing we have adopted from that song is we do a lot of stuff in threes instead of fours um it's really funny the uh, the verse and the chorus. They'll, they'll just do each part three times, and it's just mentally when you're not used to that, it just messes with you every time. We just be like, "Why is oh, it's supposed to hit the next part?" <laughs> <laughs> but did you were y'all already doing that, or that's something like since you you just were like, "Oh, we did that thing." Uh, I think since since then we've we've put it in a couple songs oh. where ordinarily we wouldn't necessarily said let's do this three, you know, instead of two or four or whatever. Yeah. I just, uh, I've noticed just from writing the lyrics to things, I've noticed that I will, I'm a big fan of putting the wrong number of times for something, but then making an introductory part that's like two times longer than it should be or something like this, this part only goes three times, but then there's this part that doesn't come up anywhere else in the song that goes twice. And then you go to the next part. And it's like, I feel like writing lyrics at that point is like, okay, so you have to be finished with your thought early, but then you have to have a, like a segue thought. And I'm, you know, once again, at that point where I'm like, why do I do this shit to myself? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your future you is uh, being screwed over by past you. <laughs> yeah. That's... And past me is all like, ooh, this is, this is unusual. I love it. You know, and future me is like, why are you like this? Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm constantly doing that to myself. Yeah. Uh, future me is going to be pissed, but whatever. Yeah. I'll deal with that later. Fortigan Records like for quite a while and um, we were speaking before I started recording like you've done some stuff that I never knew that you had done as well like you've done a couple of releases for Boys Night Out and stuff and um, like one thing that I specifically did mention to you uh, beforehand was that like with the IRS's new um minimum or would it be maximum i don't know anyway how they changed their tax policy going from like if you earn it used to be it it had to be more than twenty thousand dollars or however many like 200 unique whatever it was but um they lowered that cap from twenty thousand to six hundred dollars and that really like took a lot of 
band people and label people for a loop. Uh, they obviously they win, they extended it so that we didn't have to actually file that this year if we weren't ready to or whatever. But, um, so that means like next year, any band or any label or whatever that makes more than $600 worth of sales, digital or otherwise, is going to have to claim all that money. And so that's led me to see a lot of questions from people who are just like the band leader or whatever, like, should I make an LLC? Should I be having a, a DBA? What should I be doing to... Um, m legitimize or make this easier for myself or, you know, to take advantage of, like, the tax, like, breaks that you'll get from going above board with all of this stuff as opposed to just, like, not and then just paying all this money uh, when it comes, you know, next tax season. So um, my question or line of questions is like what do you as someone who's been like on the books and been doing this like above board you know for some time now which thing which route do you recommend people going and how would they get started with that sure so i mean I, i've been doing the label for it's going to be 23 years in april um i it was 2000. I was in college and we were, we were putting out a, a split CD. Uh, Stillwell was putting out a split with a band called Last Ditch Effort. And uh, uh, I, I threw a label name on it as a joke because we had an old Stillwell song that I liked called Forge Again. And uh, I would bug them like, let's play that song. And they, you know, they're over it. Um, <laughs> cause it was before I was in the band. So we, I think we played it a few times, but like it was one of those things where it was like a, a running joke. And so then I didn't tell anyone I was just going to put the label name on the, the, the CD. And then sort of dovetailed from there, you know, you start doing stuff for friends and then it's friends of friends or, you know, you know exactly how that all works, I'm sure mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but for the first dozen or so years, I didn't, I did a terrible job tracking everything. Um, I did it, you know, totally DIY, just uh, bands would just get a chunk of records and or a chunk of CDs and then, um, you know, they could buy more at wholesale price, whatever I determined that was. And I'm sure it was probably under the actual cost of the records. Um you know, I would do mail order super cheap and I just wouldn't claim any of it. And I wouldn't, um, again, it was just my own personal money going in. It was, it was a hobby, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, probably around 2009, 2010, I decided, um, I should, I'm probably, I'm losing money every year. So it's probably to my benefit to start tracking this. Sure. Uh, so, you know, for a record label, so, so Forge Again's run as an S corporation, uh, and what that means is essentially it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a certain kind of designation of a corporation where it's, it's really just me. Um, and so I give myself, I guess I, my accountant does at this point, cause I do actually hire a real accountant to, to actually do the, the, uh, the final returns or whatever, but, mm -hmm. um, you don't need to, I mean, it depends, especially the scale or whatever. I just, um, for a number of reasons, I've been doing it for the last few years, but uh, you basically give yourself what's called a K1, um, which is, you, you know, you're, you're either your profits or your losses uh, for whatever company you've invested in. And so you can get a K1 from any kind of investment, uh, whether it's a record label or, you know, if you opened up a, a store or something and you're one of several owners, 
you get a K one at the end of the year saying the company lost or made this much money. Um, and so ultimately, you know, I decided that it made sense to start tracking this stuff so I can actually maybe benefit from all these losses I've been pumping in. And so when your K one is negative, um, you know, it's a, it can get claimed against your, your like normal income. Right. So, um, if you lost $2,000, uh, putting out records this year, and it's, you know, it's a legitimate business. You're doing transactions online. You're, you know, you're selling stuff to stores or whoever. Um, you can claim that loss. Uh, and then there's going to be years maybe where you might make money and then you have to pay the taxes on it. I mean, it's sort of the, the, the yin and yang of it. Um, obviously, the preference is to make money because then you can continue doing it, right? Yeah, You're not just yeah. sinking money into it forever. Yeah, the, the IRS stuff the last couple of years has been messy. I know Illinois, I think last year, they did a thing where it was like $600, and then they, they changed it for the federal this year. Um, I, I do think there's definitely an advantage to to either doing an S-Corp or an LLC, depending on what's easiest for you. Um, it's not super expensive. I think I pay an annual fee of, um, and Illinois is one of the more expensive ones, I think. So for an S-Corporation, I think it's $75 a year, just as like your annual annual corporate uh, return it's called a corporate statement or something i don't remember exactly what it's called but Mm -hmm. essentially um you pay 75 dollars a year to continue being a corporation in illinois um uh, and i I think llc is slightly more expensive but again it it also shields you from uh potential liability issues maybe you put out a record for a band who later decides they um didn't want you to put out the record or something or uh, you get sued by someone for having a cover that parodies uh, their record cover or something like that. Um, it, it definitely insulates you as well to not have it just be all your personal information. Right, right. So yeah, I, I would say there's definitely benefits. It's not it's not hard. I mean, you can Google whatever state you're in. Uh, you know, forming a corporation in Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever state you're in. Uh, the rules are going to be different everywhere, but ultimately it's just paperwork. Um, you have to fill some stuff out. You have to, uh, file to have like a registered place where they can serve you if they need to serve you for any reason. Uh, most people just use their home address, which I guess technically you're not supposed to do, but I've been doing it for the last you know 12 years also. So, um, essentially, you know, you just, you fill out paperwork, you file a thing saying you'll pay taxes and, uh, sales tax and whatnot. If, You'll collect it and pay it if you have to, depending on where the sales are. Uh, I feel like now, if everybody's selling through online places, a lot of them are collecting it for you. Mm-hmm. Because in recent years, everything's changed. Um, you know, five years ago, I only had to charge sales tax for people who were buying stuff from Illinois, which is overall a small portion of the business, right? Um, yeah, people are mail ordering from all over. And so they're the only ones paying sales tax. So I'd pay whatever amount of sales tax every year. It would be an annual payment. Uh, it would be, it'd be pretty small, but since everybody buys everything online now, that's sort of the, the reality of our world is nobody's buying things in person, uh, anymore or very, very small portion. Yeah. Um, they want you to collect sales tax for every state, every country. And I think most merchants, so I use Bandcamp, um, but you can use Squarespace or Shopify or whatever else. I think at this point they're all collecting and doing the sales tax for you, which is great because I don't personally want to register with 50 states and 20 different countries or any of that other stuff and track all that. 
you know, to report that I owe them $3 or anything crazy. Yeah, for sure. So that's the good news. Um, but yeah, so the, the other thing I'll say about if you do get a 1099 from PayPal or anyone else, your digital distributor, uh, anyone that has paid you $600 or more, um, you can uh, claim expenses against that even if it isn't your uh, business. So let's just say, for example, I am selling stuff on eBay. Um, I sold a bunch of records or just, you know, action figures or just, just stuff that's whatever that you have. Okay. Um, you'll get a 1099 from PayPal now, um, if it's more than $600 and you can do is you can file what's called a schedule C and that basically is, uh, your expenses. So you can say, well, this stuff costs this much. I spent this much on shipping. I spent this much on, you know, online fees. I spent this much on that. And you can, you can sort of balance it all out, um, ultimately if you have the expenses to do so and they're probably not going to audit you um <laughs> if you're, you're you're someone who made two thousand dollars in income selling stuff online and you file a schedule c saying you had two thousand dollars in expenses they're probably not going to audit you um i'm not i'm not an accountant or a tax lawyer but the reality is you know our irs only has so many employees and i can't imagine it's really worth it for them to go after people selling small amounts of stuff online uh, whether it's a record label or a band or uh, just an individual. Yeah. So I do know bands will get, um, again, I've never played in a band that this has been a problem, but if you're paid more than $600 from one place in a year, uh, you'll get a 1099 for that too. Um, you know, again, I've never played in a band where that was a problem where we were getting $600 from one place yeah, no, <laughs> over the course of a year. That's not punk. That's not punk problems. <laughs> no, yeah. typically not. Yeah. Um, so when that happens again, someone would have to claim that on their taxes. But if you start an LLC, you can just make that, uh, you know, a band expense and then you can write off all the stuff that, you know, the band incurred. Right. So mm -hmm. that would be gas or merch getting made or whatever else. Vehicle I mean, that's repairs. all yeah. vehicle repairs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all, it all adds up. This and is... ultimately like, I don't want people to be afraid like, well, I'm just going to stop selling online. Um, it's like, well, you can, you can offset it. You just, you just have to file taxes, right? You're just going to have to be a little bit more responsible about accounting for it unless you're doing all cash business, which I don't know anyone is. Um, at this point, yeah. I, 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 when was the last time you got uh, cash in an envelope for a mail order? Oh, you know what? That actually has happened in the last couple of months or whatever. Like there's, oh, some, okay. There's someone from Ohio that that uh, does a distro, and they they just like they just like send me like sometimes it's like a little bit of a cash, and sometimes it's uh, a check, but uh, sometimes it's just like a few records. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, you know, like they, like, I don't typically like do a wholesale price for like only three records or whatever, but this person picks up a few records here and there, like often enough. And if it's the same title, then it's like legitimately wholesale to me, you know? So sure. it'll be like, oh, here's, <clears throat> here's three records in the shipping. So there's a $20 bill and a $10 bill in there. <laughs> and it's like. Okay, <laughs> you know it's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the sad part yeah. is that at this point, the cost of the records is basically the price you sell them for. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because they're everything's gotten so expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, well, funny. I don't want to. I don't want to be a record label selling twenty five dollar and thirty dollar records all the time. Like that's just not. That's insane to me. I mean, I used to sell records for six dollars, including postage. Oh, um, I know. I know. It's like the the idea of charging thirty dollars for a record is just. 
painful to me, uh, even though I know that even fifteen dollars in nineteen ninety nine dollars is probably thirty dollars now. Yeah, or getting close. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's wild because you know, especially like, especially like you know, like I've seen people like that were. I I think like there's obviously um, there's a lot of like particulars involved or whatever, but you know, I saw somebody that was really upset about a record cost $30 or whatever. And, um, I don't know what record they were talking about. They didn't um, clarify, but I was thinking about like, you know, specifically like when we did the engines record, there was those wax mages and those cost us like 15 bucks or whatever each just to have. Right. And so like just saying that that was like 10 years ago or whatever when we did that it wasn't quite 10 years probably but you well, know like what I mean? 6 years ago yeah <laughs> right like my my point is like a wax mage record probably cost 20 bucks or whatever to make now you know so like if <clears throat> if you're trying to buy a wax mage record it probably is 30 or especially because you know how like solid manufacturing and different plants like they'll have those um if you don't want to wait a year, you can pay $20 a copy for a record. Like, you know, so <clears throat> there's definitely instances where, like, some people are going to press just a standard black vinyl record inside of a sleeve, and it's legitimately going to cost them $20 per unit to make them, you know, based on yeah. those those oh, factors. For sure. So it's like... Yeah, I just did one, actually. So Oh, you just um, did one of the... Yeah, I did a record for a band called Summer League um, that, again, you know, that was the second release I ever did. The first release for a band that I wasn't in were some friends from high school um, played in, like, a, a Sunny Day Real Estate-ish emo band. Um, and uh, they never really had any real releases. Like, they were around for a couple years they recorded a lot of stuff and they're really good. And so I'm doing a thing where, you know, there's only a hundred records mm-hmm. and, you know, again, that costs $20 a record essentially yeah. with yeah. all the, all the expenses in it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wild. It's just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, especially like, yeah, I was, re- I was just recalling like in, a, you know, a column that I wrote, like in, in my zine, I was just like recalling like, yeah, the first record that I ever put out when I was in high school, like we made these seven inches and we were selling them like people would send us three dollars in the mail and we would send them the record like and um, and now it's like a seven inch is damn near like and completely um, un like it's just n- it's not a format that I can see lasting much longer. Like if this is the way things are going to be, I mean, cause like a seven inch like can cost like $7 to make, you know, or, yeah. or more. And that was the last time I did one, you know, which has been quite a while now, but like, I don't even know what a seven inch could cost now if you did like less than 300, you know, and, um, just the fact that even in 2010, everybody was like, we should stop doing seven inches and start making one side 12 inches instead. Like just 
sort of spelled, you know, death to the to the format. I mean, obviously, there's going to be people that make them no matter what, but like, it's just wild. It's wild how much all that's changed. Yeah, I think it's probably been like ten years since I've done <laughs> one. It's just funny looking back at my books and it's like. I used to sell them wholesale for $2 and it's just so funny to think about now it costs three times that to even press it. And you'd have to press 500 or a thousand to even get that price. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a different world, right? Things just (laughs) have gotten so much more expensive to make. Um, Yeah. Seven is just, I think kind of a a dead format unless they figure out a way to make them cheap. Um, I think flexies have sort of taken over Uh, and I've done a couple of those and those are, again, it's, they're way better than the flexies of the nineties, which yeah. sounded just awful. Yeah. And they sound fine. They're, they sound like a set, you know, barely worse than a regular seven inch and they're pretty quick. And the problem is there's only one place that makes them and they're in Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we'll, we'll see if that changes. I mean, the number of pressing plants popping up is just crazy. Uh, and it still takes forever at this point. Yeah. Isn't it something to do with the lacquers is aren't the lacquers? Uh, yeah. Like- there's a couple different log jams. I mean, it's just, so many projects happening mm-hmm. right now. Everyone's pressing everything For and sure. the major labels are getting back on it. That's the only thing that sells. So they're, they're filling up their plants and filling up other plants. And, uh, when you got to press 50,000 Adele records or whatever for Christmas, uh, it just adds up. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, before we take off, like, uh, you know, you mentioned that the, the new project has about uh, eight songs and y'all are like sort of uh, crank, cranking on to, to make a record. Like, are there any um, like concrete plans to not, not like, uh, you know, saying like, oh, April 20th, you know, this is when we're going to release the album or whatever. But do you have like a loose, you said you're going to be playing shows hopefully by the summer or whatever. Um, are there like loose plans for recording an album in that time yeah, frame I think, as well. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything concrete, but I think we'd like to record a record before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe get get out there, play some shows. We've been demoing stuff the whole time. Uh, that's the one benefit of having like a, your own basement where you can set up microphones everywhere and just have them sit there, and then you just show up and it's already all set up, and it takes two minutes to to do it. That is one benefit of um, you know being being an adult and having this technology. And Craig's actually very good at it, uh, unlike me. So uh, we've been able to demo stuff. And I think I think that's the plan is we'll get everything demoed and then find a, figure out where we want to record and just go and crank it out in a couple of days. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we should chat about before we take off? Or did we kind of go through the large strokes, as it were? We covered a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm doing – I have another project I'm doing um, with Jeff, who's in Engines. Um, okay. Uh, another thing I'm playing guitar for, I don't think we've decided on a band name, uh, yet, but, um, that's also in a pretty similar stage. So we'll start playing soon. Um, in the next few months, hopefully we can get some shows booked where I think we're like nine or 10 songs so we can pick and choose and play seven of them or whatever. But so that's going, so that's good. (laughs) Awesome. And then for new releases and, and everything like that, people just go to the band camp. Yeah, no, the Bandcamp, uh, when I'm not too lazy to ep- update the website, do people look at label websites anymore? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, that, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that because I'm like, you know, when I'm trying to get my um, stuff together for like a website as well. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I have one. I mean, you know, I, I want to make it really comprehensive and like have a full, 
history. I've slowly been going back through the back catalog and like adding information and pictures and like recording information. And so it's like all in one place, but uh, it's just painful. It's just data entry and like trying to figure out, remember we have to like copy and paste track listings, you know, getting all that information back in there is just, uh, it's time consuming. Let's just say that. Yeah. It's a lot. It, it is cool going back and revisiting the older releases though. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I have a website, I have a band camp. Um, you know, there's stuff coming up, uh, hasn't been announced yet, but I got a couple of really cool things this year that I'm stoked on. Um, again, bands I liked when I was in, uh, high school, uh, that I get to work with now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's just forgeagainrecords.com or just. Yep. Or the forgeagainrecords.bandcamp. And that was my conversation with Justin Wexler. Thank you so much, Justin, for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks to everyone at home listening as well. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash humanmachine to check out what we've got going on there. Until next time, take care and do good things. <laughs>